0: Today on the Zabecast, the 23-year drought of Team USA and the Ryder Cup on European soil continues, and who knows when it'll ever end. We got week four in the NFL, overtime madness, the bird heard around the world, and the end of Fitz Magic. All that, plus do we really want voting by smartphone? If you've got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go! here we go! Monday, October 1st, 2018, thank you for the download, and who doesn't love a game 163? And we've got two of them today, the Brewers at the Cubs and the Rockies at the Dodgers. As you people know, I am, of course, very happy for, and pulling quietly, without jinxing it, for my friends up there in Milwaukee. What a season you've had and what a run you've had to reel in the Cubs and to tie them on the final day of the regular season. I mean, <laughs> it's just hard to believe. Now you've got a one-game playoff where you could relegate the mighty Cubs, the fan base that invades your stadium like ants at a picnic every time you guys play them, could relegate them into a one-game wild-card Play in or play out situation. Man, is that juicy. It's going to be fun to watch uh, midday on Monday. If you can't get out of work, just quit your job. I mean, like, jobs come and go. When is the next time you're going to play the Cubs, Brewer fans, on game 163 for the right to win the division and to send the Cubs into the wild card after they seemingly had the division wrapped up? I mean, this won't come around. I guarantee you this: the next time the Brewers play the Cubs in a game one sixty three to knock the Cubs into the wild card, it's you will you will have changed jobs. I'll just say that you will have changed jobs or retired. So I think today is a good day just to tell your boss no, or better yet, say I'll be at work, I'll be at my battle station, but I the game will be on, and I will just be doing the only the most critical. Mission-critical work from about noon until whenever the game is over. Uh, Looks like Quintana versus Chassin. We'll see about that. Could be a bullpen day for the Brewers. Uh, Quintana is the best bet for the Cubs. He's got great numbers against the Brewers, and he's not on short rest. Uh, We'll see uh, what the Brewers do To oppose him. The other subplot of the game, of course, is whether Christian Yelich can go ahead and still win the Triple Crown. I didn't know that extra games counted for the Triple Crown, that a game 163, those stats get piled in. Now, batting average, Yelich is comfortable there. He's got a 13 point edge over Scooter Gannett, so that's done. Home runs, Nolan Arenado homered twice on Sunday, so he now leads the NL with 37. Yelich is tied for second with 36. And Aguilar is 35, so there's a lot of complications there. It, it's too much to ask for Yelich to have two home runs to get to 38 en route to the Triple Crown as the Brewers win this game. Like, that would you can't ask for that, can you? I mean, maybe you it can. It'd be incredible. RBI Yelich remains two behind Javi Baez, now tied with Arenado. Again, I think if the home runs happen, the RBIs will take care of themselves. Either way. The Triple Crown will be nice. And by the way, he would be the first NL guy to do it since 1937. When Joe Ducky Medwick of the Cardinals did it back then, uh, Miguel Cabrera of the uh, Tigers in the AL did hit the Triple Crown back in 2012. Triple Crown, for those that don't know, uh, you got to win a batting title, home runs, and runs batted in. Tough feat to do. All right, let's talk a little bit of golf here. I guess I'll do a full recap with my golf nerds this week. I got to get I got to put out the bat signal to get the nerds to assemble. Ryder Cup goes to Europe and boy do I feel stupid for thinking comfortably. And for betting, by the way, it's 100 bucks down the drain. Actually 50 bucks cuz Gitter did buy half of my $100 share. Stupid of me to think we're loaded. Tiger's back and we are loaded. Uh that's The problem, Tiger's back. Somebody made the joke on Twitter, you know Tiger Woods is fully back when he now is sucking at the Ryder Cup. 0-4, and not just 0-4, but I mean 0-4 and zonked out of it for the better part of two and a half days until he showed a little bit of life on Sunday. More on that in just a second. So anyway, the U.S. gets boat raced in France by a European team that just had the combination from hell that went 4-0, Molly Wood, as they're calling it, Francesco Molinari, who went 5-0 and for only like the fourth time in Ryder Cup history, and 4-0 with Tommy Fleetwood. Tommy, Tommy. They were unbeatable. And they went through our team, any team we threw at them, like the proverbial shit through a tin horn. They were Unbelievable. So your final match score is 17.5 to 10.5 most lopsided victories since consecutive 18.5 to 9.5 victories by Europe over 10 years ago. We're getting blown out in too many of these. Now, am I pissed that the USA lost because I'm American and I'm rooting for the USA and I've had money on Team USA? No, I'm not pissed about that. I'm pissed that we, yet again, did not have an interesting Ryder Cup Sunday. Fuck you, Team USA, for not even making it close. And what I'm mad about is, you know, Furek's going to take a lot of heat for this. And that's how it works. The captains always take the heat, and they take the credit when they win. And Furek was not great. I mean, sending Mickelson out on Friday, an alternate shot, was fucking brain dead. Like, what are you doing? Resting now. one of our better young players who wasn't exhausted. That's a phrase I don't want to hear anyone say again. Not a phrase. That's a word I don't want to hear anyone say again. And I guess to the players' credit, I never heard any of the players say, well, I'm exhausted. That's why I'm playing bad. But a lot of the media members are like, well, I think Tiger's just exhausted. Hey, it's fucking golf. He's not running consecutive marathons, Okay. He could have if he was a little bit drained from winning the Tour Championship on Sunday. And yes, he had to fly all the way to Paris. That is a grueling flight of about seven hours, eight hours, nine hours, depending on how fast his jet went. Private jet where I'm sure he could lay down and sleep. They had all day Monday, all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, all day Thursday to catch up on a sleep. Now when I say all day, I know it's not all day because there's a ton of shit you got to do. Practice rounds, photo sessions, media sessions, galas, banquets, this, that, the other. I don't want to hear exhausted. If he was exhausted, and that's why he played like shit the first couple of days, then take yourself out of the lineup. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So Furyk wasn't great with the pairings. That said, there was a couple of things that were tough. For Furyk, let's be honest. You're going to sit Phil Mickelson for two full days and then throw him out there like Yarmo Sandlin on Sunday as an expected loss? Pretty tough to do given that Phil was on the task force. Remember that? So you had to play him at least once. Phil's going to catch a lot of blame because he sucked. And, of course, Phil authored the... <laughs> What a, way, what a way to be on the highlights forever. Rinsing a tee shot on a par three right in the lake and then turning to Francesco Molari and taking your stupid visor off, or actually it was a hat, and shaking his hand with your glove on. For those that don't play golf, that's embarrassing. If you're going to have to finally concede a match, you really want to do it on the green where your opponent has a really short putt to beat you you don't want to just go okay and here's my shot on the first okay Okay, nice match way to kick my ass okay thank you very much like that highlight that visual of, of phil doing that and then the handshake that's forever that was it that was the match like you would have thought he would have said okay this is bullshit i am not going to put this in the water But he sucked all week, and you know people are going to kill Phil Mickelson. He couldn't leave him off the team either, not just because he was a task force guy, but he he was like one slot outside the points. And this is because he won one event back in Mexico, short field world golf championship event uh, back in March, April, May, something like that, springtime. Might have been March. Don't quote me on the details. He won it back in the spring. And they wait wins too much. So they're going to have to reconsider the points, I think. Con- uh, seriously, they're going to have to reconsider a lot of things. Maybe add even more captain's picks. So he was a captain's pick. Tiger was a captain's pick. You couldn't not pick either one of those guys. And Finao was a captain's pick. And who was the fourth captain's pick on the U.S. team? U.S. Ryder Cup. Team 2018 Wikipedia. Yeah, uh, you know, you should have done this before you started recording. Yeah, fuck off. It's a podcast. What do you what are you paying for today's podcast? Nothing. But I subscribed to the Friday one. That's different. Alright, 2018 Ryder Cup. There we go. Teams scrolling down. Uh deshambo is one of the other Ryder Cup captains picks. You gonna not pick deshambo I mean, the guy damn near won. He won two events in the playoffs, right? So <sighs> the captain's picks, they they were kind of set in stone. They did nothing you do. And I, I didn't want Kucher. Kisner probably would have been better, maybe. Xander Shoffley maybe probably would have been better. You just don't know. Bottom line is this. We can't have Tiger Woods going 0-4. And, and we can't have Tiger Woods looking and sounding like a zombie. If you saw his interview with uh, Todd Lewis of the Golf Channel after Saturday's matches, he sounded fucking out of it. He sounded like he had just swallowed a bottle full of who knows what goofballs. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it per se. He might have been in bad pain. His back could have been fucked up. Who knows? But if his back was bad, and he was on major painkillers, and he was zonked out of it, then why is he playing? Did he force himself into the lineup? Did Furek feel like, oh, i got to play Tiger? 0-4. And not only 0-4, he was moving slowly and gingerly, and he had the 1,000-yard stare. And bottom line is, now with this 0-4 on top of his previous bad record in paired matches in the Ryder Cup, it's, there's no spinning it. <laughs> He's bad at this format. He's bad at this thing. And I thought that after Tiger Woods had invested time as a captain or uh, and, uh, as an assistant captain these last couple of sessions, I thought we're going to see a new tiger. Just like we have a new tiger when it comes to his persona. I thought we'd have a new Ryder Cup tiger. Nope. Same old Ryder Cup tiger. Doesn't play well with others. Just not how he's wired. Johnny Miller, I think, said it best. He goes, his dad did not wire him this way. I mean, there was one point, it was a Saturday afternoon, early going. It was him and DeShambles in alternate shot against the meatball and, and, and the hairpiece. Not the hairpiece, the meatball and the flowing hair. Mollywood. And I believe Molinari hits a ball, hits a big old cut flare. One of the few shot tracers we got to see which is a whole nother story. Hits a flare into the water hazard on a par five. Off the tee. And what does DeShambles do? He gets up there, and he hits his own driver. Exact same flare into the water. Uh, uh, hello? Hello? Where are you on match play? You dink a three-wood or a three-iron into play. You play the percentages. Hello? You play the percentages. Why didn't Tiger Woods grab that driver out of Deschambault's hands and say, "No, no, 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 you're not hitting driver. They're in the water. You're going to put it in play. I'm going to rip a three wood and we're going to chip up and down for an easy birdie, and they're going to be lucky to make par." But no, what do they do? They put it in the water and they end up. I think they lost the hole, as a matter of fact. So there was that. I didn't like the fact that Furyk, as captain, didn't do a better job of tone setting both before the event and after the disaster on Friday afternoon. To me, Furyk should have been hammering, hammering, hammering. We are the underdog. These guys are a great team. Winning away, winning not in your home soil is ten times tougher, and we are going to need our best from everybody. Hammer it home, hammer it. I didn't hear any of that leading up to it. I thought our guys walked in there kind of soft, like, oh, we kicked their ass. Last time, and now we got we got Tiger this time. We're going to kick their ass again. Doesn't work that way. I didn't like that Furyk kind of downplayed the fact they played like shit on Friday afternoon. Oh, no, we're not worried. You know, we were 3-1 in the morning and 0-4 in the afternoon. We're going we're to try to close this gap. What I wanted Furyk to say was, hey, I'm not panicking, and I believe in my guys, but I've told them, urgency. We have to win this next—we have to put everything into winning this morning session— on Saturday morning, because in this event, leads are always larger than they look in the rearview mirror, and this event can get away from you quickly if you're not careful. I didn't hear that tone set from him. Sergio becomes the all-time points leader. Uh, what else? Um, just look at my notes here. Uh, I love the course. The course was perfect for this. You know, the the setup of the course was revenge. And, and it was strategically smart for the Europeans, who I think are straighter drivers by the numbers with their team. Not in general, but just straighter by the numbers. It was a good sort of, hey, fuck you, to how Hazeltine was set up. The Europeans were very critical of the setup at Hazeltine, and, and I didn't like it either. It was a middle of the green, pins pins in the middle of the green, birdie fest with very little rough. And I think there was only like one water hazard. No, two two water hazards. On the entire course, and this was different. This was like TPC Paris with bulkheads and tiered greens and weird fairways and a bunch of shit that could trap you and a lot of a uh, lot of rough. And I liked it. It was interesting. I mean, the fact that there was a seven seven or no a triple bogey triple bogey halved hole on part three, I love it. I thought it was a way more interesting Ryder Cup, even though we got our asses kicked. The venue was great as well. My God, the grandstands and just the sight lines. Incredible. I mean, the, the, the photos of the 7,000-seat grandstand on the first tee, which is the largest grandstand I think ever constructed in golf, incredible. It's so good for the game as a golfer to have those images, to make an impression on ath- you know athletic kids who are thinking, I'm good at this. I'm good. I'm good at baseball, good at basketball, play a little football. But my dad took me golfing and I really like it. Is golf cool? And then they see photos of 7,000 people doing the skull chant at the Ryder cup. That's the kind of thing that gets into the head, into the imagination of young kids who are the next stars of the next generation. And they go, I want to do that. That looks fucking cool. I don't know how they're going to top a 7,000 seat grandstand on the first tee. I also have no idea how they construct basically these miniature apartment complexes alongside certain holes. Like, you know where they the luxury suites that are stacked 3 high? Man, whatever company does that now, they must make a mint. And those those pop-up apartments overlooking golf holes must cost a shitload of money for sponsors. Speaking of grandstands, first tee and the next Ryder Cup was at Whistling Straits in 2020. And oh, by the way, I am there. I am there. I am 1,000% there up at Kohler. It's going to be great. Here was a thought I had. Very few matches actually came to 18 until Sunday at the Ryder Cup. And even on Sunday, I think only one or two went to 18. At Whistling Straits, number 18 is such an incredible hole, incredible venue with incredible you know seating opportunities for everybody around there, I thought they should switch the nines. Oh, yeah. it. You, you may think that I'm nuts or that this is a heretical thought. Oh, no. I do believe behind the 10th tee, and I'm trying to picture how it is at Whistling Straits. I've been lucky enough to play it more than once. But I can't quite remember. I think there is a a fair amount of space behind number 10. You could put a massive grandstand there, and it would be great. And better yet, you could have massive galleries watching the play come through number 9, which is actually number 18, and and number 17, which is one of the great golf holes in the world, Pete Dye Masterpiece, a 236-yard-from-the-back tee's fright show a terrorizing par three along the edge of lake michigan you will guarantee that that hole 17 gets played as well now it won't be as high leverage it won't be as high stakes because these would be holes eight and nine not 17 and 18 but if it was me if it was my setup i would say you know what i'd flip the nines to make sure that the fans get to sit around 18 and see play come through and to make sure 17 actually gets played more than once or twice at the Ryder Cup. Now, who's going to be on the team in 2020? Impossible to tell. Who's going to be the captain? We don't know. That has not been named as of yet. Plenty of guys that were assistant captains that could be thrown into the mix. I don't. Phil Mickelson's not going to be on the team. That's a lock. Could he be captain as soon as two years from now? Maybe. We'll see. Tiger, will he be on the team? If I had to bet, I'd say no. I don't know what they're going to do the points qualifying. And I want to see him go through another year where he played 18 events and rack up the points that he did. And then another year after that, I mean, I'm not rooting against Tiger Woods' comeback. I'm just playing the odds. I, I have a hard time believing he'll make the team on points. Now, what if he doesn't make the team on points, and what if he is somewhat close? Will he be a captain's pick again? Could you have the balls to say, we know he sucks in the Ryder Cup, and we know that basically he kind of brings the whole team down, and he he can't pair him up with anybody, but we're going to take him anyway? Could they do that? Would they do that? I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully some of the younger guys come through and are on the team in 2020. Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantlay, Bo Hosler, Peter Uline. Finau looks like he's a stud for years to come. Uh, JT and Spieth were great this week. Um, Bubba was a complete disaster, and nobody likes him. And Webb Simpson was really solid, even though he's not my favorite guy. Uh, Ricky was eh, not very good. And DJ and Brooks Kepka, I mean, these guys are wired to do their own thing, to play their own ball in white-knuckle events in which they're just in their own world. They're not dynamic personalities. They're solo acts. So either you pair them together or I don't know what you do. But there you go. Ryder Cup. TV coverage sucked. I mean, no Shot Tracer almost. I mean, there was Shot Tracer on a couple of holes. That was it. It's disgraceful. I had somebody who knows a thing or two about television say that the units are very expensive. And NBC just, they have a budget. And they're not going to spend a lot on Shot Tracer. Fox, meanwhile... Try to make their mark in golf and television, they spend for Shot Tracer everywhere. So boo NBC for that. Also, how many times did you hear the phrase from Dan Hicks or somebody, this was just a moment ago? It's like, hey, you know what? Uh, While you were watching Dustin Johnson spend two and a half minutes lining up a chip shot, this big thing and that big thing happened in matches that we have barely showed you all day long. Boo! And why can't we just pay for an app? Why can't we just pay for a pay-per-view where you can just punch on your app or on Direct TV any match you want? Hell, I'd love it if there was a shortcuts version of every match that showed every shot with Shot Tracer so I can see, ooh, Ricky hit a snap hook here. Ooh, so-and-so did this. Because I'm a golf nerd. Congrats to Europe, jerks. All right, that's enough about golf. Let's talk National Football League. What a week it was. And by the way, yours truly, my 50,000-star lock of the new solar calendar, the Patriots minus a mere six-and-a-half, came moonwalking home with an easy victory. Kind of had the league kind of wired this week. Uh, I don't know what my official record is. Sally will have it for me uh, this afternoon on 980, but still, pretty, pretty good. What a week, what a week, what a week. Earl Thomas's finger. We got Doug Marone's chart. We got Frank Reich's swagger. The Fitzmagic is gone. We had three overtimes and almost three ties and I had yet another blistering complaint with DirecTV and the stupid NFL blackout rules. But more on that in just a minute. All right, let's start with the, uh, let's go through the games here. We'll start with the Patriots first up. Patriots roll over the Dolphins 38-7, to the reported death of the Pats dynasty. Premature, as I said, it probably would be. Hello, Sony Michelle. 25 carries, a buck 12 and a touchdown for the Patriots. Uh, Ryan Tannehill stunk. 11 of 20, 100 yards plus an INT. Miami was terrible converting on third down. They were held to three out of 11 on third down. Only had 172 total yards. Patriots had one of those drives to end the first half. 15 plays, marching downfield, capped off by a Philip Dorsett beautiful touchdown grab. Uh, Josh Gordon did play in this game for the Pats. Two catches, 32 yards. Gronk left the game in the third quarter with a right ankle injury. We'll know more on that today. And Frank Gore for the uh, Dolphins became the eighth running back to play in 200 games. So the Dolphins now fall to 3-1. and one. They're no longer unbeaten. And the Patriots are 2-2. Two and two. Dolphins, by the way, are at Cincinnati next week. Uh, Patriots on a short week. They host Indianapolis on Thursday night. In Atlanta, A.J. Green did it with seven seconds left. Bengals 37, Falcons 36. Dagger, dagger in this game. Matt Ryan had a huge game, 419 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and nothing to show for it. Julio Jones had a buck 73. It was the Bengals in a back-and-forth game scoring with five seconds to go, Giovanni Bernard had sixty nine carries, uh, sixty nine yards on just and two touchdowns in the game. The big news, though, Tyler Eifert gruesome broken ankle. He is out for the year. One of two major broken legs among star players on this particular Sunday. Falcons have now scored thirty or more points in the last three weeks, and they have not won a game. Or they won. They've gone one and two in that span. Uh, Bengals have played three of their four games so far on the road, and they're 3-1 and one out of the gates. Good start for them. They now get six out of eight at home. We'll see if the Bengals can keep it up. Side note in this game, this was weird. Jimmy Carter got a birthday cake from Arthur Blank and the Falcons. Everyone out there know how old Jimmy Carter is? Take a guess. 94 years young. Happy birthday, Jimmy Carter. As Abe Poland once said, where's the cake? Bring it, bring out the cake. Hold on, there you go. Where's the cake? Bring the cake in. Bring the cake out, indeed. Jaguars roll up on the New York Jets, thirty-one to twelve, and Doug Marone has a chart. So leave him alone with his chart, will you? Up thirty-one to twelve after having just scored with twenty-seven seconds left. Doug Marone goes for two, and people are like, "Hey, what's up with that man?" And he's like, oh, the chart says go for two. It's like a guy at a restaurant who is stuffed. You know, you've been to a nice restaurant. You're not paying for the bill. It's client. Uh, You're a client and the boss. You know, the the, the people that are taking you out, they're paying for it. So you've stuffed yourself. Appetizers, a big old steak, maybe a surf and turf. And you could barely have to roll yourself out of the restaurant. But as you're walking out to the car, (laughs) you don't just grab a mint. Or two, You grab a fistful of mints. That's what Doug Marone was doing. Maybe he was trying to rub it in. Maybe not. They're not division rivals. They won't see each other for a while. He said he had a chart. The chart says go for two. Okay. Sam Darnold stunk in this game. 17 of 34. That's 50%. Even I can do that math. A buck 67. Three sacks on the game. Three INTs. Uh, So the bloom is definitely off the road. Remember when Sam Darnold was, oh, this guy's awesome. This guy's going to be great. That's why you got to wait and see. Give it a couple of weeks, and let's just pump the brakes. Blake Bortles almost had 400 yards, spread the ball around, hit 10 guys uh, throwing the ball. Fournette played for the Jaguars, but only had 11 carries for 30 yards, then re-injured his hamstring. So for all you Fournette owners in fantasy and for all you Jaguar fans, Enjoy the next three weeks of wondering, is Leonard Fournette gonna play or is he not going to play? Jets are now one and three. They host Denver. The Jaguars are three and one. They are at Kansas City. The Tennessee Titans stuck the dagger right in the neck of the Philadelphia Eagles in overtime. Man, this made my bye-weekend as a Redskin fan. It was so great to see 26-23 your final in overtime. With just five seconds left, Mariota to Corey Davis for the game-winning touchdown. The Titans converted on not one, not two, but three fourth downs in that overtime. They even had Ryan suck up on the field to try what would have been a game-tying 50-yard field goal, but Mike Vrabel said, nah, let's go for it instead. Two of the three fourth-down conversions. One was on penalty. It was legit. Uh, The other one was on just a breakdown in coverage where you're like, dude, what are you doing? Cover that guy, for God's sakes. Titans trailed by 14 in the third quarter, and they trailed by three in overtime but went on to win. Carson Wentz threw for 348 yards. Philadelphia outgained Tennessee 432-397. to But guess what? The Titans are the grittiest team in the league. They're now 3-1, and one. and apparently Marcus Mariota's elbow is just fine. He had 43 throws for 344 yards. He also ran for 46 yards and a touchdown. Titans are at Buffalo next week. The Eagles host Minnesota with an extra couple of days of rest. That brings us to Indianapolis and Frank Reich's blunder, which let the Texans off the hook. Houston 37 Indy 34 in overtime. So here's the situation, as you probably have seen by now. Fourth and four at their own 43. Tie game in overtime. 24 seconds left, and Frank Reich says, fuck it, let's go for it. Uh, Andrew Luck bounces a pass in the flat on a short connection, and they turn it over on downs. After the game, Frank Reich bragged and said, I will go for that on 10 out of 10 times. We're not playing for a tie. Okay, but here's the thing. With only 24 seconds left, and uh, on 4th and four at your own 43, and given that Houston has no timeouts left themselves, your chances, if you convert 4th and four of winning is probably, and I don't know what, somebody I'm sure looked up the, uh, win probability here. I'm going to guess ballpark at like 25%. You you yourself have to get another 20 yards or so comfortably to get in range for a field goal to win the game. With I'm not sure how many timeouts they had themselves, but you got to get 20 yards in about 24 seconds. Not too likely. All right. And then if you turn it over on downs, which they did, all it takes is one pass for the other team to get in field goal position to beat you and a tie while tough guy coaches like Frank Reich may, you know, spit it out of their mouth like it's poison. <laughs> we don't play for ties. Remember, ties are half wins. And oftentimes half wins separate you from other teams when it comes to the playoffs. And given that te- given that Indianapolis is not that strong of a team, team they cannot run the ball by the way. Uh, they had, let's see, 41 yards rushing in this game. Andrew Luck was sacked four times. They are a completely one-dimensional team, relying totally on Andrew Luck. That half win, that half win late in the year, as disgusting as it is to tough guy coaches on the podium, could have been very useful. I would have preferred if Frank Wright said, look, it was a calculated gamble. I thought we could have, get a, I thought we could have gotten the first down. I wanted to play for the win. We were being aggressive. It didn't work out. I'll live with that, though. Every situation's different. I felt in the moment it was the right thing to do. He doesn't have to say, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I shouldn't have done that. No, I'm not asking that. But the tough guy of, I go for that 10 out of 10 times. Okay. It was a bad percentage play, and they got burned because Deshaun Watson hit uh, DeAndre Hopkins on a 24-yard pass. No timeouts. Game-winning field goal. Kaimi Fairbairn. Uh, J.J. Watt had two more sacks. He is now the second fastest to 80 sacks in NFL history. I know what you're going to say. Hey, how about that? (laughs) Just a stat. And Adam Vinatieri is now the king of NFL kickers. He recorded his 567th made field goal. Hey, how about that? Okay, I'm just giving you the stats. Andrew Luck, 62 passes. 464 yards, four touchdowns, no INTs, and a big fat loss. The Colts are 1-3. They're at New England on Thursday night. The Texans are now 1-3. They host in-state rival Dallas. Meanwhile, in Chicago, Ryan Fitzmagic? More like Ryan Fitztragic. Boom! Boo! All right. Everyone has been doing the Fitztragic thing, but okay fine. I had to do it. The Bears demolished Tampa Bay, 48-10, to 10, your final score. And it was a 48-10 to 10 where you say, game wasn't even that close. Mitch Trubisky threw for six touchdown passes. That is a new personal best and one off the NFL record for touchdown passes in a game. The Bears led 38-3 to three at halftime and then basically cruised home in the second half. Trubisky, uh, 354 yards, 19-26. It it was so bad for Fitzpatrick. He was 9-18 of and one touchdown, three INTs, that Jameis Winston came in. Winston still threw two picks in relief when it was garbage time. Oh, yeah, Khalil Mack had a strip sack in the first half. He now has a sack and a forced fumble in all four games this year. (laughs) It's just so stupid. The clown suit that John Gruden is wearing on this one continues to grow and grow and grow. And once again, let's see. The Buccaneers played Monday night, plus they had to travel. Mm, trouble. Tight end O.J. Howard left with an knee injury. No word. on how bad that is? We'll find out more today. Buccaneers fall to 2-2. Two and two, As now I think the Jameis Winston era is back in play in full force. I, like many other idiots, played Fitzpatrick saying, Eh, the matchup sucks. I understand that. The Bears have a great defense. But you know what? Even if the, the the you know Tampa Bay Buccaneers fall behind quickly, they'll throw a lot. So from a fantasy standpoint, it'll be fine. It was not fine. So now I'm stuck with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm, I'm going to drop him, obviously, and find somebody else, and uh, it's a complete mess. Tampa Bay is 2-2. Two two. They have a bye. Chicago is 3-1, and, and they, too, have a bye. Meanwhile, down in Dallas, Zeke. Elliott and the Cowboys escape the Detroit Lions 26 to 24. Brett Maher with a 38-yard field goal with zeros on the clock as the Cowboys get past the Lions. A massive day for Zeke Elliott. He had 240 all-purpose yards, ran for a buck fifty-two on twenty-five carries, had eighty-eight yards receiving on four catches, but most notably it was a thirty-eight-yard connection. From Dak to Zeke in the air that set up the game-winning field goal. They showed a dispersion chart of every uh, every Zach or, or every Zeke Elliott catch as a Cowboy in his year and a quarter, and it was a joke because there's all these dots that are either five yards behind the line of scrimmage or five yards in front of the line of scrimmage or beyond the line of scrimmage, and then there's one dot, 31 yards downfield. That was the pass they completed to set up the game-winning touchdown. Detroit took the lead on a sweet Golden Tate touchdown. He had a monster day, eight catches, buck 32, two touchdowns. Can I, maybe I'm not the only one saying this, but Golden Tate is the most underrated, badass wide receiver in the NFL. Am I right on that? I mean, he's perennially underrated. And it was not enough to win. Uh, Dak also saved the day because he uh, got sacked, recovered his own fumble late on that game-winning touchdown drive, threw the ball out of bounds. Oh, yeah, the game-winning touchdown was set up by a roughing-the-passer penalty on what was a late whistle or a confusion as to whether a guy was down or not. This league continues to be so infuriating. Terrence, William for the Cowboys. Terrence Williams for the Cowboys was a healthy scratch for the first time In his six year career, Detroit falls to one and three. They host Green Bay this week. Dallas is two and two. They are in state rival, the Houston Texans. Green Bay blanks Buffalo 22 to nothing in what I told you people was a double error of recency game. Not only did I say this, but Mr. X said this as well. Double error of recency. Ooh, the Packers played like shit and lost to the Redskins. Ooh, the Bills played great and beat the Vikings. I bet what just happened, the last thing I saw, is going to keep happening. Uh, ah, wrong. Green Bay with their first shutout since 2010. And I will allow an eight-year since stat, because eight is close to ten. You know my rule on since stats? If it hasn't been ten years don't give me no sense. I don't want to hear no sense. Well, it's the first time since 2015. Get out of my face with that crazy that's, stuff. That's, that's only ridiculous. Here, uh the Packers uh beat the Bills 22 to nothing. Your final score there. Bills are who we thought they were. Josh Allen is who we thought he is. He was a disaster in this game. 16 to 33. A buck 51 two picks had seven sacks. He was under siege all day long. Rodgers, I tell you what, he moved around great. It's like his knee is actually getting better, which I didn't think it would. Uh, He did slide after a long scramble uh, and kind of got hit. And you're like, every time he scrambles, you're like, ah, man, do you really have to do that? Rodgers did have an interception in this game. It broke a streak of over over 150 straight passes without a pick. It still took two tips, though, uh, to have that pass Picked off. Uh, Rodgers hit Adams and Allison for 80 yards each. Moved the ball uh, well. But Rodgers said, we, we got a score. He said, we played as bad offensively as we could with that many yards. Kelvin Benjamin left the game with a concussion, as did Geronimo Allison. We'll have to see how bad they are this week. They'll both probably be in concussion protocol. Bills are 1-3. and three. Tennessee is up next. Green Bay is 2-1-1. One and one and they are at Detroit. In Oakland, the wildest game of the day. The Raiders outlast the Browns in overtime, 45-42, to and the Browns was robbed. In fact, the Browns should actually be 4-0 if you're going to play the coulda-shoulda-woulda game this year. An absolutely insane reversal of a first down call late in the game. I don't know... I guess Alberto Riveron saw something different on this play. Everyone, it seems like, every announcer, everyone on Twitter, even the game recap said, uh, and the Browns were victims of a very controversial reversal. This is instant replay. This is what you instant replay fanatics say. We got to have it in case a bad call determines the outcome of a game. This was a horseshit reversal, and it determined the outcome of a game. It fails almost as much as it succeeds, and it should have a failure rate instant replay of almost zero. Instant replay should work 97.2% of the time, and maybe 2.8% of the time where there's just a weird interpretation of something. This was a travesty. Oh, and there were several other bad calls in the game. Two quick whistles, Marshawn Lynch might have had a Uh, Big run negated by a quick whistle. Uh, There was a complete joke of a roughing the passer call against Cleveland in this game. It was a mess. Pete Morelli, time to retire. Why is Pete Morelli still around? And Gene Steratore, and Terry McCauley, and Ed Hockley, they're all gone. Uh, Morelli's not a good referee, I'm sorry. Probably a nice fella. Looks like a cartoon character more and more. Three lead changes and 38 points in the fourth quarter alone in this game Derek Carr had four touchdowns and the game tying two-point conversion with 30 seconds left to Jordy Nelson quick aside has anyone calculated the percentage success of two-point conversions when a team needs it to tie the game in the last two minutes of the fourth quarter has anyone because I swear to God it seems like whenever a team has to have a two-point conversion to tie the game they get it almost always and if not always, it's like ninety percent, just what it seems like. Marshawn Lynch had a big game, twenty carries, a buck thirty. I'm surprised. This is now year two of the Marshawn Lynch in Oakland revival. I thought he was done from the minute he set foot in Oakland, but he obviously can still get it done. Browns were up twelve at one point in this game, and or excuse me, Browns were up fourteen, and then they were down twelve, and then they took the lead again before coughing it up in overtime. What a game! Oakland wins. Chucky's first win says it feels like uh 100 years since he last got his first uh, last get last got a win in the NFL. Raiders are 1 and 3. They're at the Chargers in LA next week and the Browns are 1-2 and 1. They host Baltimore in Seattle. The Seahawks or excuse me in Arizona. The Seattle Seahawks beat the Arizona Cardinals 20 17 on a Sebastian Janikowski 52-yard field goal at the gun. Okay, now that that's out of the way, not the story of the game. Not even close. And this is going to be something that's going to be talked about all week in sports radio. And you know what? It's actually a very good, interesting story. Oh, there's going to be a trillion hot takes on this. But it's an interesting dynamic. Of course, you saw, you've seen by now that Earl Thomas, who has been feuding with Seahawk management, saying either give me a new contract or trade me, broke his leg. bruh broke his leg and is out for the year. Did it defending a touchdown pass late in that game. As Earl Thomas was being carted off the field, instead of taking the platitudes and, and, you know, all the Cardinal players were kind of patting him on his shoulder pads, giving him, you know, well wishes, another fallen soldier in this game that we love, we all love so much, the NFL. Instead of kind of taking those platitudes he just is ignoring all them and then as he's being driven off the field flips the bird to the Seattle sideline wow i can say this and you can say this cuz you have watched the nfl as long as i have many of you some more than me in your life have you seen anything quite like that now was it justified hmm hmm <laughs> depends on who you ask depends on your position on this whole situation. You could say that this is exactly why the Seahawks were right to not give him a new contract because he is approaching the end of his prime years, if not there already. And while he may have some usable years left, they don't want to pay they don't want to pay for those years even at the current rate much less they don't want to pay for those years at a premium rate. So in a way, you could say, well, Seattle's right. On the other hand, you can say, this is why the players are going to have to go on a serious strike the next time the labor deal is up. But guaranteed contracts are never going to happen in the NFL. What the Players Association needs to do is they need to do shorter contracts for star players, and they need to... Get rid of the franchise tag and all the other tags as well. Shorter, and, the, and, and they also have to get rid of the long contracts that are tagged to players to start their careers. You can't have four-year mandatory rookie contracts and five years of control for players who are first-round picks. Problem is, the union they don't want to go for bat for guys. They don't want to really go for go to bat for guys who are not yet dues-paying union members. And that would be rookies. And so they're not going to fight really hard to knock down the number of years that rookies have to be under contract to their first team. But the key to getting paid in the NFL is simple. I mean, it's simple, but it's still still hard. It still involves risk. It's multiple short contracts. Because the shorter the contract, the more it's going to be guaranteed. And the more times you can be a true free agent with no tags whatsoever, the better the chance that a bunch of teams are going to get hot and horny to sign you for a whole lot of money. And that's what, you know, it's going to be tough to do because that's three big things that they're going to have to push for. Well, two big things collectively bargain. One is shorter length of contracts for rookies, getting rid of all the other tags, and franchise tag, and all the other tags. And then you're gonna to have to have players who have the discipline to go, I only want a two year deal. Because that's all I want, because I, I want to be a free agent again after two years. Ideally, good players should sign three two year deals in their first six years of the league. But this is gonna be talked about and deservedly so. I mean, it's uh I know Rodney Harrison, who once broke his arm in the Super Bowl. Came out on Sunday night football and said, I hate to see this. This was not good. There are young players on that Seahawk team that look up to Earl Thomas. Not a good look. Rodney Harrison. For what it's worth. Oh yeah. Uh anything else in the game? Josh Rosen made his first start as a rookie. He was bad. Fifteen to twenty seven, a buck eighty and one. Touchdown, no INTs. Maybe he was better than just that I didn't see a whole lot of the game, but his numbers weren't great. Chris Carson did not play this game. Mike Davis, the third-year pro out of South Carolina, had 101 yards. Two touchdowns, says, I've been waiting for this week, waiting for this day for a long time, says he believes he could be the starter there. Uh, but the story of the game was, of course, Earl Thomas and the bird. Sam Bradford was inactive in this game. Mike Lennon was up, so that'll make my boy Sally really happy. Otherwise, though, Cardinals fall to 0-4. They're the only winless team in the NFL now that the Raiders have won. And the Seahawks improved to 2-2. Seahawks host the L.A. Rams. And the Cardinals are at San Francisco. The Saints win without a big day from Drew Brees. Now that's weird to say, isn't it? New Orleans 33, the New York Giants 18. Alvin Kamara was crazy. 19 carries, a buck 34, three touchdowns, including a 49-yarder. He totally outshone Saquon Barkley only had 10 10 carries for 44 yards. Drew Brees did not throw a touchdown in this game. I repeat, Drew Brees did not throw a touchdown in this game. Michael Thomas only had four catches, and the Saints won going away. It helps the Giants' offense is still hot garbage. Struggling again, didn't score 20 points, one of the lowest-scoring teams in the league. And Taysom Hill. (laughs) Taysom Hill is amazing. He did like return to punt, had four carries, threw a pass, and had a fake punt for a first down in the first quarter. The balls on Sean Payton sometimes just totally impress and amaze me. First quarter game, and Sean Payton says, oh, we're at 35 let's call a fake punt. Why the fuck not? Uh, The legendary Mike Westhoff with uh, the trick play that worked out beautifully. And on the play itself, uh, the Giants even sniffed out, hey, this looks like a fake. They still couldn't stop it. Odell Beckham had an okay game. I think he had about 80 yards uh, completions, no touchdowns or 80 yards receiving on about six completions. He did have to get an IV at halftime. The New York Giants fall to 1-3. and three. They are at Carolina next week. And the Saints are now 3-1. and one. They wait my Washington Redskins off a bye on Monday Night Football down in the Big Easy. In L.A., the Chargers... Beat the Niners, but only by two. They were 10-point favorites, 29-27. to 27. They had a rally to do it. Chargers fell behind 17-6 before the half. Then they scored 20 unanswered. C.J. Beathard, eh, he was okay. 23-37, 298, two touchdowns, two INTs. Phillip Rivers, 25-39, 250 yards, three touchdowns for him. He did pass John L.A. for eighth place all-time in NFL yardage Melvin Gordon had a big day 15 carries for a buck 4 and is there a better bargain tight end than George Kittle 6 catches a buck 25 and a touchdown side note in this game the Chargers missed another extra point they've now missed 8 extra points since last year that of course is number 1 in the NFL Niners fall to 1 and 3 they're home against Arizona the Chargers are 2 and 2 they host Oakland Oakland and finally the Sunday nighter. Holy shit, maybe Joe Flacco is actually good. I won't call him elite, but maybe he is good. The Ravens handle the Pittsburgh Steelers rather comfortably, 26 to 17 your final score. And the game wasn't even that close because the Ravens fumbled going in on what would have been a 21 to 3 score. Yes, it was going to be 21 to 3. They fumble at the goal line. Pittsburgh rallies. They come back down. They kick a field goal to make it 14-6. Game kind of stayed competitive, but the Ravens were the better team by far. Joe Flacco had 42 throws, 363 yards, and two touchdowns. One of those to John Brown. Another deep strike. That guy can move. Three catches for John Brown, a buck 16. Steelers could not run the football. Uh, James Conner, nine carries for just 19 yards. Baltimore improved to 3-1. and one. They're at Cleveland in the Art Modell Bowl 1 for this year, the first of two installments. And then the Pittsburgh Steelers are 1-2-1, and one, uh, and they host. I put Pittsburgh down. I don't know who they host. I'll have to look that one up if I close my browser here. Ah, you know what? Do you really want me to look this up live on the podcast here? I did all this work. Are you happy with the work I did here? And I'm going to get you this. NFL schedule. 2018 week number five, right? That'd be week number five. Okay, I'm one click away. I hope you're enjoying a nice sip of water or a cup of coffee here. Uh, The Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers are home against the Atlanta Falcons. And that finally brings us to tonight's game, the Monday Nighter. The Chiefs are three-and-a-half-point road favorites at division rival Denver. Total is 54-and-a-half. Kansas City comes in with the league-best offense, averaging 39.3 points per game. Last year, Denver saw Patrick Mahomes in Week 17. Once, Kansas City had clinched everything, and Von Miller said after last year he knew this kid was going to be special. Von Miller does have four sacks on the year. uh, That is tied for the league lead. Can Mahomes keep flinging it on the road Monday night? Mmm. Yes. I'll take the Chiefs minus the 3.5 against the Denver team. Case Keenum will probably put up big numbers. Let me take the over, too. I know, I'm I'm taking the road favorite and the over, 54.5, on Monday Night Football. Normally, combo meal number one for the degenerate drive through is taking the home team and the over minus the points on Monday Night Football. I'm taking the road team and the favorite and the over on Monday Night Football. I know it's embarrassing, isn't it? All right, we got plenty to chew about regarding the NFL as we head towards Week Five. Now that we are into, we're you know, going to be through four weeks of the year after tonight's Monday Night Football game. I will start Tears of a Clown. I know you're very happy about that, and we will take a longer look at the you know statistical rankings of teams. You know who's number one in this, who's bottom in this. Da, 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 da. We're at the quarter pole, at the quarter pole of the NFL season. And man, just like me in Scotland always say, hug it, cherish it, because this season, it goes by so quickly. All right, let's end on this today, because, oh, holy shit, it's one fifteen in the morning. See my dedication for you guys to give you this fresh podcast to start your Monday morning? I don't know if this is the greatest idea, and I'm not sure this is the state I want pioneering it anyway. West Virginia has decided to allow smartphone voting for the upcoming midterm elections. For the first time in our nation's history, voters in 24 counties in West Virginia will be able to vote using their mobile phones. And while some are hailing the decision because it'll make voting easier for members of the military deployed overseas, for which, by the way, I am all for that, experts are warning of, wait for it, possible... Wait for it. Security breaches. You may now slap your hand against your forehead. No, really? So we're going to have cell phone voting, and we're going to have confidence as a country that nobody has acted. Given all the hysteria over Russian interference, we're going to allow this. Okay. The state is partnering with a Boston, Massachusetts company called Votes Inc. V-O-A-T-Z. Aha. It's cute. Votes has developed a secure mobile voting application that allows voters to receive, vote, and return their ballots electronically, the press release claims. That's a lie. You know how I know it's a lie? There is no such thing as a secure mobile application. There's no such thing as secure anything when it comes to the Internet. Secure is a pencil and a paper. And it's not even that because of, well, hanging chads. We'll see. Hey, hey, Brandine, did you vote? Nah, I've been playing Candy Crush on my phone. I ain't got time to vote. Why you got to make fun of West Virginia that way? I'm sorry. My my neighbors, my brothers, just to the west of me. I love West Virginia. All right, that'll do it for me today. I got to go to bed. Thanks for listening. Off we go on Monday into the wild blue yonder of twin 163s. Go Brewers. Go Yelich. Monday Night Football. I've got the Chiefs minus like a sucker. Thanks for listening. Download, subscribe, comment, like, tell three friends as well. Premium Zave available every Fridays. Zave.com slash premium to sign up. Now get on out of here and we will see you tomorrow.